0: The following is recorded from a Twitter spaces co hosted by Coindesk and Interchain FM. The conversation was moderated by Sam Kessler, a Coindesk journalist, and I had the pleasure of speaking alongside Eric Voorhees, Haseeb Qureshi, and Sonny Agarwal on the ongoing topic of FTX and Sam Bankman Fried. We discussed the failings of centralized financial institutions across the board and how DeFi fixes a lot of those failures. Is there a role for regulation over DeFi? Or is there a future where crypto natives can build the means to self-regulate effectively? Welcome to Interchain FM, where we dive into the frontier of the blockchain space. We're now in the third generation of blockchain tech, where a burgeoning multi-chain ecosystem is about to explode into what we call the decentralized web. Where Ethereum is to the mainframe computing era of the internet, Cosmos is to the PC era. If you're seeking alpha in the Cosmos ecosystem, look no further. This is the destination for your exponential learning experience. Interchain FM is where you can get the download on all of the high signal projects building bridges to one another, and how you can participate in the future of the Internet.
1: Obviously, we're having this space against the context um, of FTX and its implosion, explosion, um, whatever you want to call it, it has been for a tech reporter, for a crypto reporter, the craziest couple of Newsweeks I've ever experienced professionally. It's insane. The most recent thing, um, and this is kind of what we'll start with in terms of a recap that's happened, is we've seen an affidavit from the new CEO of FTX since they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. So this is somebody who actually led the restructuring of Enron, and he said, and you might have seen this already in this affidavit, quote, unquote, never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred here. From compromised systems, integrity, and faulty regulatory oversight abroad to the concentration of control in the hands of a very small group of inexperienced, unsophisticated, and potentially compromised individuals, this situation is unprecedented. So that unprecedented situation is what we're going to talk about today. i excited to introduce um, our guests. So first off, um, I'll, I'll start with some of our Coindesk reporters. Like I said, I'm Sam Kessler, a tech reporter. I'm joined. Um, uh, by by uh, Tracy here, um, who is our um, Deputy Managing Editor of Companies, um, broke some of the stories that you've seen over the past week, namely um, the one about the polycule. So if you got questions about that, maybe we can take some of those in the end. Um, we've got Cheyenne here, who's our U.S. regulatory reporter. Um, and then we've got um, uh, some awesome guests. So we have Eric Bor, he's the founder of Shapeshift. We've got Sunny, the co-founder of Osmosis Labs shango um from interchange fm who's a builder in the cosmos ecosystem and we've got Haseeb, managing partner at dragonfly um, most of these folks um won't need introductions but um glad to have them here so to start out um i i actually have a question um uh for, for sunny um maybe we can talk a little bit um just jump straight into things about the the, the meat of today's Space, which is around the difference between centralized exchanges and decentralized exchanges. So you run Osmosis, which is a decentralized exchange a blockchain, and blockchain on the Cosmos ecosystem. Can you talk about what some of the intrinsic advantages are in your view of decentralized exchanges relative to centralized exchanges like FTX? Why couldn't FTX have happened in a centralized, um, in a decentralized context?
2: Hey, uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, the space is funny because uh, I you know, I think it started where Chango like retweeted this like old, like t- t- doing, Twitter space on like video stream that from like two years ago or something. And I kind of forgot that that space happened. It was like me, Eric, SBF, and Suzu. And it was kind of like this, like uh, it It was also a like centralized exchange versus Dex debate. And I feel like at the time, uh, you know, take uh, centralized exchange as well. SPF and Suzu were like, we don't really see that happening. And uh, well, I guess we see which two of us are still standing right now. Um,
3: <laughs> uh,
2: but no, so like, okay, the, this whole idea, of like, I remember like, you know, the, the one thing, so, so the whole idea here is that like, there was no transparency in the system. You know, what I always tell people is the entire point of DeFi, i think can be summed down into like one sentence which is transparent trans privacy for the individual transparency for the system so you know the whole point of what we're doing with like cryptocurrencies and cryptography is making tools that a cryptography on its own gives ways of giving uh individuals privacy right you can have you know you don't want anyone to be able to look into your Balances, or uh, see what your financial transactions are. But the purpose of combining that cryptography with public ledgers is you want transparency on certain aspects of the system. Uh, You want to make sure that you know money isn't being printed out of thin air, or you want to make sure that uh, you know all the rules of how a system is supposed to act are being followed. And the you know you have basic. Original systems like payment systems like Bitcoin, which provided these like strict set of rules for how to build a currency. But, you know, now we're able to take those and make them more expansive, And, you know, we can have we can take all almost all the rules that an exchange does. An exchange really is like, you know, two people making atomic payments to each other you know i'm sending you one asset and you're sending me back another asset and we can encode those in the rules of uh of a blockchain and make sure those are happening in a transparent way and allow everyone to still always maintain custody of their tokens what happened in the ftx situation was you know people just sent money to uh this centralized entity who custodies their coins. And there's no transparency into knowing what are those people doing with your coins under the hood. Meanwhile, the DeFi, you know, the only people who can trigger actions on behalf of your coins are yourself or anyone that you, you know, explicitly authorize to do certain actions. And so that's like the base idea is like, Hey, how can we make these rules more transparent and enforceable? Uh, not, Based off trust.
1: Now, um, thanks, Sonny. That's a um, really useful overview. And and one of the things that we've seen come up in the centralized exchange space recently is this idea of proof of reserves. Uh, this uh, group of you know principles that people are starting to, I guess, uh, adhere to in um, uh, instrument in their own exchanges to to prove theoretically that their reserves actually hold the amount of currency that they're supposed to hold, according to what they've told customers. So I, I, Eric, I actually saw that you retweeted something today, kind of questioning, I think it was from Jordy from Delphi, um, questioning how this proof of reserve model works and whether it's actually a sufficient way of holding these centralized exchanges to account. I, I, I wonder if you're able to kind of, um, if you're willing to talk a little bit about why proof of reserves might not be a you know perfect mechanism for accountability.
4: Sure, okay, so uh, first, I don't want to poo poo proof of reserves. I think that is a fantastic model practice set of standards that needs to be adopted. Um, its main problem is that no one has adopted it yet. There are, to my knowledge, are no major exchanges that are really doing proof of reserves uh, holistically and. Continually, I think some have done like um, periodic snapshots, which is better than nothing, but um, the industry and meaning users really need to start demanding this and hopefully the FTX collapse will help push people toward demanding that. But um, yeah, it's not perfect. And the thing I retweeted today was actually an interesting point that I hadn't considered before, which is that even if you get proof of reserves you from a centralized exchange, you can't really get proof of liabilities. And this is a profound point, right? So who cares if FTX has a billion dollars of Bitcoin if you don't know what their obligations are? Um, and to the degree that a centralized exchange has financial obligations to other counterparties, that's not on chain. Um, proof of reserves is really only like half, half useful. So while I absolutely want to see the industry move toward that, it's definitely not a panacea. And more importantly, DeFi is like a step Beyond that, it, it's proving reserves in all times, constantly, twenty four seven, even on Christmas, and there are no liabilities that the system doesn't know about either. So it's proving um, both assets and liabilities in real time all the time, twenty four seven. How how are regulators not applauding this grand invention? Um, I don't know, but we have the tools to fix these problems, and we just need to use them. Well, yeah, on that. DeFi, you have.
2: Oh, yeah, okay. DeFi, so, you have like, um, you know, you do have proof of liabilities happening on chain. You have like protocols like Compound and Aave, where there are liabilities that exist on the chain because you know, inevitably people are taking leverage even on in DeFi. You know, it's not leverage isn't something that's isolated only due to CeFi, but all the leverage is happening in a very transparent way. Everyone can see, hey, this is the total liabilities of the compound protocol or the ABE protocol. And everyone can like, act and make decisions based off of this public information. And that's why DeFi was able to you know, liquidate people much faster. People are able to price and risk much faster when you have this public information.
5: The other point I want to make is that it's not clear that if FTX, let's say that they were commingling user funds between FTX, the exchange, and Alameda, the trading firm, um, what proof of reserves shows is that you have control over the funds. Um, if there was this corridor, and again, we don't know all the details quite yet, um, it's possible they could have passed the proof of reserves even while they were commingling funds between Alameda and FTX. So I think Sunny is absolutely right. The nature of those agreements, the nature of the liabilities is spelled out on chain in code. Whereas for any centralized exchange, there's always some element of trust me. And the trust me is that, no, there aren't off-balance sheet liabilities. No, this is not being commingled with another entity that has control over the stuff. And you can always ask the question, you know, when Binance is showing you their proof of reserves, is that Binance or is that CZ's money that he has unilateral control over? Um, that, 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 that's somewhat opaque. And it, look, it's an important step forward. And I think it's extremely valuable to have proof of reserves incrementally relative to what we had before, which was literally just trust me. And I don't even need to prove that, I, that anybody has the money. Um, but that's not enough
4: to stop what happened at FTX. Yeah, but it's worth mentioning that like proof of reserves is not some new thing. Like we were talking about this stuff 10 years ago with Mt. Gox and um, the industry just never really adopted it. It never became a thing and we've really moved beyond it. So as cool as proof of reserves is and as much as I would still like to see it happen and become standard, DeFi is just a step function improvement and transparency over that whole system.
6: Uh, on the DeFi, just just to play a little bit of a de- devil's advocate, um, the narrative that like you know DeFi will solve all of the problems of centralized systems. Um, you, you guys made some great points, but um, I think it's important to acknowledge that like you know DeFi also poses its own set of unique risks. Like, you know, do you want to get rugged by a fraudulent centralized exchange or, or get rugged by like the North Koreans? I don't know. It kind, of, it kind of seems to me like, you know, it's a little bit of a pick your pick your poison. And so, I mean, we've seen also uh, with the Mango hack, like like DeFi is not foolproof either. And so I was wondering if you guys can also address, maybe, maybe let's go with Eric, um, some of the problems with DeFi as well.
4: Yeah, first of all, no one should be going around saying that DeFi is a panacea, that DeFi has no problems or no risks. Anyone saying that is a charlatan and you should walk the other direction. Um, the difference is that in DeFi, everything is open source and visible to the public and operates according to how the code is written. And the code can be read by anyone. So the, the degree of transparency is, is just like profoundly higher than a centralized exchange. With a centralized exchange, there are humans involved in how it's operating at any given level. And DeFi, there are no humans involved, just the the code. Now, where the risk is, of course, is if the code is written badly. And we've certainly seen plenty of examples where DeFi contracts were written badly. But those are mistakes that can be corrected with better code. And as code sits in the wild, you can be increasingly confident in its performance and you never have to trust you know, the, the operators of anything. You never have to trust human subjectivity. Whereas the centralized exchanges, you always have to trust human subjectivity.
1: One well, of the so- other things that I'm curious about is like whether DeFi poses extra risks in terms of making people, like the, I, I, it's not only the, the dialogue around it, but it's just at the core of these products, they are technically more transparent. But one of the things that we saw with, for example, FTX and Alameda was that they held a disproportionate amount of the token supply of certain tokens, which um, and it's not just limited to this case, it it theoretically offered them the ability to manipulate markets and so on. So I'm curious if, you know, that is more of an issue in a decentralized context. Um, Is that transparency actually applicable when we're talking about market manipulations, when people over time are going to get more and more sophisticated, able to Spread their holdings between different wallets, obscure their holdings, so on and so forth. Um, kind of a broad question, but um, I don't know. Eric, I saw you on mute for a I'd second.
4: I'd say the, the risk of something like FTT is borne by the holders of, of FTT. And if people are owning that asset, then they should be understanding what it is. Who controls it? To what degree can it be created or destroyed? What controls um, do the parties that uh, created it have? Um, those are issues with that specific token. But if you're taking any specific token in the context of centralized exchanges or decentralized exchanges, it's always going to be more transparent in the latter because everything is on chain and everything happens according to code versus being in a centralized, opaque database that nobody but insiders can access and subject to the subjective whims of people.
5: Yeah, I think FTX, again, is a big you know, of this. As, as we just established in the affidavit, Sam had basically 90% of every single entity in the empire, uh, he had total unilateral control, and that's one of the things that the, the liquidator was lamenting: is how there was just no oversight. There were no checks on anything. Now, it's certainly true that in DeFi, yes, there are tokens that have high concentration of certain holders. Most of those tokens are small. That's not uncommon for startups either to have the vast majority of their ownership be in a few people. Uh, but DeFi, I think it's important to underscore this: DeFi is not a monolith, any more than CFi is a monolith. There are many different protocols in DeFi and they have different properties and different uh, distributions of ownership among them. So what you're talking about with respect to something like a Uniswap uh, is gonna look very different for something like a Serum or something that's even smaller than, than, than Serum even was. Um, and so I think there's, there's a range to these things. And it, if you're talking about what is the possibility for manipulation, the possibility for you know a governance attack, which seems to be Sam, what you're alluding to, um, it looks very, very different for something like a Uniswap Versus, you know, some 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 random startup on Polygon. The same thing is true, of course, for uh, centralized exchanges.
3: It's also about to what degree do you have control over it? Um, because in DeFi, you have full control uh, over your assets, and you know, if something gets hacked, well, you know, it was on you. But then, if your money was on FTX and you had no insight into how it was run or um, like what was on its balance sheets it's completely out of your control and it arguably wasn't your fault. So it's a difference between, um, trusting someone else for that or trusting yourself.
2: Yeah. So in, in, in all of these like financial protocols, right. There's like different types of risks, right. You, you know, you have things like you have your know, code risk, you have the mechanism risk, you have, parameterization risk you have human risk so like you know code risk yeah definitely exists on both DeFi and C5 right like you know you have smart contracts that get hacked but you also have centralized exchanges that get hacked you know it seems like FTX seems to have gotten hacked or you have Bitfinex and you know all these like play you know exchange centralized exchanges that also had code related hacks as well you have mechanism risk right you have like Terra which was a you know a DeFi protocol but that was like a mechanism risk, right? You know, DeFi doesn't suddenly get solve all mechanism problems. A badly designed mechanism will fail regardless. Uh, you have parameterization risks, right? So, you know, part of this FTX situation was a parameterization issue as well, uh, or at least, you know, maybe that's they're claiming it was that like FTT was designated as way too high uh valuable as a collateral than it should have been and that's the same thing that we saw in the mango case as well and mango they decided to put their own token as like premier collateral which it really shouldn't have been and so you know i think that's actually one thing that DeFi needs to get better at is going through these like governance processes of how to properly parameterize their protocols and you know they're they're there's like a range of different types of protocols in DeFi, right? Some that are like relatively very governance lists while others are require more active governance, like lending protocols. And so, you know, I think there's been a shift in crypto in DeFi over the last few years of trying to move things. You know, we had this like peak where everyone was trying to make these governance tokens to build value for their things. Uh, but now we're, we're, I think we're starting to see a, a more shift back towards like governance minimized protocols as much as possible. And so, um, yeah, so I think there's like, DeFi definitely has a lot of space to go. But I think the key thing that it does is it stops, it, it handles the human risks where, you know, you don't have to trust a human is going to run away with your money at the very least.
3: We're also talking about the differences between uh, DeFi and Cfi. But then I noticed there's a lot of, you know, skirting of blame by the politicians, because if you look at FTX, the offshore entity, that one went insolvent, but FTX, the US entity was actually well capitalized. So, you know, we have Elizabeth Warren who's saying, well, you know, we need greater oversight into this like crew of anarchists. But in reality, this, this outcome happened because Bad regulation pushed exchanges offshore and for people to just like go in jurisdictions where it is the Wild West. Whereas if you look at Coinbase, um, they, they're fine. So I, I think there is some conversation to be had about the responsibility of you know, po- politicians to actually figure out a positive framework and not just like put it on to us and then say that we're a bunch of anarchists and we're at fault now. Look at, look at everything that's happened
1: i think do we actually know that ftx us was well capitalized because they also had to you know declare bankruptcy with the. they did
5: also file for bankruptcy that's right
1: yeah um so i think i i I, your your point's well taken um uh yeah but but i think that it's hard to say that the entire thing wasn't you know going under uh for whatever reason but i uh, one one question like when we talk about some of the risks of defi and Sonny, and Chango, by the way, thank you for joining us. You you were, you know, a big part of getting this whole group together. Um, so for both of you, um, you you have a big role within the Cosmos ecosystem. At the core of that ecosystem for a long time, and still to some degree, was Terra and their UST stablecoin, which until recently and until it blew up was the stablecoin uh, in Cosmos. And as we all know now, it collapsed and fell to zero. And part of the reason why it was able to get so big, I, I don't think it's controversial to say, is that Many, um, you know, figures within the Cosmos community, specifically Terra folks, but also beyond it, either promoted that token or sat back despite um, and and let it spiral out of control, despite knowing its risks. Everybody that I talk to now says in retrospect, they knew it was risky. But anyway, I'm curious as, you know, core figures in this community, whether leadership bears some responsibility to communicate the risks of these protocols to people better even though they are just experiments and everything's transparent on chain. People did lose a ton of money. You can't
3: put the blame on leaders and Cosmos for things that fail within its ecosystem. Same reason why you can't blame Vitalik for like some of the scans or, you know, like NFT pulls that, that were built on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, th- you know, that being said, I believe like Sunny was vocal about the um, like poor mechanism design. Uh, underlying UST, you know, I was as well, but um, like less, less explicit. Um, I did do an interview with Do Kwan where I asked him the hard questions and he did answer them um, in a very straightforward manner. And it was, it's left to the listeners to really draw their own conclusions.
2: So I would actually argue that like, I feel like maybe we didn't do enough in Cosmos to be like letting governance be more opinionated on things. So on osmosis how you know ust and luna became uh two of the biggest assets uh on on the on the decks and you know osmosis has this like liquidity incentives program and it was funneling a large portion of the incentives towards ust and luna and part of the problem there actually was that you know the incentive liquidity incentives mechanism that we used was one that like favored it you know it it looked at the Assets on on the decks that brought in the most trading volume, and it drove liquidity incentives to those pairs in order to build up liquidity for the pairs that brought the most volume. And so, if anything, I would say actually part of the reason UST and Luna became so prevalent within the rest of the Cosmos ecosystem was actually because you know it was overly unopinionated and was just like you know oh okay these two assets are bringing volume because they were popular assets let's fund let's let's uh channel more liquidity towards those assets and i so i think one of the things that uh osmosis governance has realized since then is that it actually needs to be more opinionated on things so you know there is you know we've been bringing a, it, liquidity incentives are like being used right now to like, you know, make sure we have a diverse set of stable coins rather than going all in on any one stable coin again, or making sure we have, um you know, a enough liquidity with paired with other major assets, not all dependent on one asset, like, you know, for a long time, Osmo, Cosmos ecosystem liquidity was very much central, um, centered around Atom, but you know, we're kind of starting to move away from that because we don't want to be dependent on any one asset as like the primary uh, liquidity on an off ramp into the ecosystem. So I think we're, we're, we're working on, I think governance has realized we have to be more opinionated than, than
4: we were before. Yeah, I'll, I'll point out that um, like in Luna's case, it wasn't, the failure wasn't a failure of code. Uh, the failure wasn't a, a bug. It wasn't like a bad actor. It wasn't a hack. It was a mechanism that didn't withstand the scrutiny of being in the marketplace. And sometimes you have to just let mechanisms try to operate in the marketplace and see if they fail. You know, like it's, it's easy to say in hindsight that, Oh, I, everyone should have just, um, tried to exile Luna or, or downplay it, et cetera. Um, and that's easy in hindsight, but a lot of ideas look stupid. And the only way you actually can tell if they're successful or not is you let them operate in the wild and you see what happens. And where this is hard is that when they fail, they cause a lot of damage. And what we should be advocating for is for people to realize that all of this stuff is really risky. Like this is risky financial technology out on the frontier. And what the hell are you doing buying Luna when you don't understand that there's a risky mechanism underlying the stablecoin bank, right? Like that's a, that's a personal responsibility issue. Um so I don't I don't think this is really like something where people should have been voting it off of a off of a platform although if they think it's that bad they should they should make their voices heard um we just have to have like a tolerance for failure and and to balance that out we need to be always advocating personal responsibility and telling people that these are really risky things be careful and even those people who know a lot about them often often fail and get hurt
3: There were two things that could have been done to mitigate the luna collapse. And one was personal responsibility, as in just don't put your life savings in UST to chase that 20% yield. Uh, the other thing was, I still go back to the <clears throat> unsecured lenders. You know, it was just DeFi was all about competing on um, APY um, in the last cycle. And so y- you just, protocols constantly have to outcompete each other to a point where. Uh, We had, you know, Ohm and Ohm Forks that were promising a thousand percent APY. And it was just so scandalous. Um, And people were institutions were loaning out money for for um, like really cheap. So that. I think that lent um, to the explosion, you know, the over leveraging of the entire system, which we never had before. So that didn't help. That money was cheap to get it, mm-hmm. get your hands on, and you know people just like took that and put it in, put their life savings into UST.
2: I actually, so I'm gonna give like a little bit of a hot, maybe cancelable uh, take on Terra here. Uh, Hasib and I have talked about this a bunch, but I'm actually publishing a blog post about this. Uh, probably should come out either today or tomorrow because it's actually like the six month anniversary of the Terra collapse. But I actually think the Terra. Situa- Terra never got tested properly. You know, the, Terra had, like, an experiment that they were trying to do, which is, you know, their whole thing was, like, they, I think they always knew their, their collateralization mechanism was, like, bonkers. But the, their whole claim was that, no, the, what keeps currency stable is that they have real organic demand behind them. And their goal was to build a real organic economy around this that drives demand for the ust stablecoin and they tried doing that for a while you know they had this payment stuff that they were doing they had like real DeFi protocols um and then at some point they got greedy and built this scam called anchor which like promised people guaranteed risk-free 20 percent yields um on stable coins and what it did was it created a shit ton of Inorganic demand that as soon as things get shaky, everyone went running from the door. There was no, there, there was no real back. the, the idea is the real demand is supposed to act like a backstop, and that just wasn't the case uh, because eighty percent of the of the UST in existence was all just chasing that twenty percent yield on Anchor. So, you know, I, I actually will say that I don't think Terra mechanism on its own was a Ponzi. I do think Terra plus Anchor together was most definitely a Ponzi. And so, I don't know, for me, I'm a little bit sad about the collapse. You know, people, I've heard a lot of people saying this week that like, oh, you know, they've never been, this is like the most demotivated they've been since they joined crypto and like are working, you know, with this whole FTX collapse and everything. I'm like, really? This I've actually been more invigorated than ever. This is just like more reason why we need DeFi. Um, The Terra collapse for me was a bit sadder because it was like, Hey, here's like one of the few legitimate attempts of trying to make an actually decentralized money. And its collapse, I think, just like pushed back the uh, ability to, you know, create stable decentralized money by probably a few years at the very least.
6: I want to move on past uh past Luna Terra, where we're here to talk about FTX, but but I re- I really do appreciate your insights. Um let's let's get back to the topic at hand. And Eric, I wanted to ask you a question about just crypto regulation. And um and Sam, so you debated Sam on on bankless um in a very now infamous uh interview, and it seems like you were widely praised. Um, knowing what you know now about FTX and what's kind of become of the situation, and also Sam's comments yesterday where, where he actually told a journalist, fuck the regulators. Um, is there anything that like You know, if you could go back to that uh, debate and really drill home a point, or do you feel like, you know, everything he said during that debate was just a lie? Like, what are your thoughts?
4: (laughs) So many thoughts. Um, (laughs) Ironically, his statement yesterday may be the only reasonable thing he said in the last few weeks. It was weird to hear him say that after he, you know, had made a show of how important it was to be engaging with these regulators and to um, you know, beg them for regulatory clarity and all this. Um, it, I mean, to, to, those who don't know, Sam was involved in, uh, in talking with various regulators and there are so many of them, um, talking with them and, and like helping them craft regulations that would apply not only to centralized exchanges, but also apparently to DeFi, And it's that latter part, which got such, which drew such ire rightly so from the community. And which was the subject of much of our, much of our debate. Um, and it was so frustrating because he, he had this air of, um, like, oh, you Eric, you're such an idealist. You're, you're not a pragmatist. Of course we need good regulations and, um, we're going to make that happen. And I'm the one doing all the hard work in Washington to make that. So, and meanwhile, he's running like the greatest scam in crypto history and i just i i wish people could like see that the law of how code executes is regulation if you want finance to be regulated you should want the hard immutable law of decentralized smart tr- smart contract code it's knowable it is completely objective it has no bias to it and it operates exactly as written if you if you like regulation you should see that as something like magical and mystical and something that is just so amazing. And yet, we, even though we have DeFi and we have immutable contract code that can govern how finance works in a transparent and fair way, they still insist on bearing down with hundreds of pages of written regulation, a technology you know, from hundreds of years ago, which always has to get filtered through the subjective behaviors of the people actually executing it. FTX was a regulated entity. FTX US was a regulated entity. Basically, every exchange centralized that has failed has been regulated by some regulatory body somewhere. they they just fail, and people keep appealing to them like some kind of God on high. And I wish people would just wake up and start using the technology that's in front of them that does a much better job.
5: Well, I wanna wanna push back on that actually. Um, So obviously, Eric, I agree with you on the broad strokes that uh, regulation is not magic. Um, uh, DeFi is also not magic, right? Like there have been failures in DeFi, there have been failures in centralized exchanges, and that will continue until the end of time, because obviously all of these things, whether they're centralized exchanges or decentralized exchanges, they're all made of code. They're all made of software and they're all, um, for every single one of them, there are human beings somewhere or another at the helm. They may be in multi-sigs, They may be, you know, delegates in governance. They may be, uh, you know, board members they may be something else. Um, I think the. What was, what's so interesting about Sam's response in that Vox article, where he sort of took the mask off and started a very, very sort of joker energy that seemed to come out when he was was very honest. The most interesting thing that he said was that um, he thought consumer protection was bullshit, that there was no real consumer protection going on uh, from from these regulators. And I think that's, I think that's it's a good point. Uh, I think I think he's right about that. I think that's something that I think both Eric and I would agree with. Um, but I think the there's still that question of, okay, well, how do you stop the next FTX? How do you stop the next mango markets? How do you stop these things from happening? It's one thing to say that, um, you know, we we, we think that, you know, decentralized code is its own auditor or it's its its own regulator and uh, it is self-enforcing in a certain way. Um, But it's also true that DeFi today is still way too difficult and way too impenetrable for the vast majority of users who use centralized exchanges today. The users for centralized exchanges are in the hundreds of millions. The users for DeFi are probably in the, you know, high single digit millions, maybe 10 million, roughly something in that ballpark. Um, and I think it's, it, right now, we're nowhere near bridging that gap. Um, now, it's not just about consumer protection in order to bridge that gap, it's also about UX, it's also about scalability. Um, but I, I think there are really hard questions for which crypto right now doesn't have an answer to, and we need an answer if we want to be able to tell regulators,
4: hey, back off, we got this. But I, I think DeFi, DeFi is absolutely the answer. The fact that some people haven't learned how to use it is on them, frankly. Uh-huh. And even though it's only 10 million people today, that was the entire crypto industry five years ago. So it is, it is growing fast. It is growing really fast. And if you, if you use an average DeFi app today, a lot of people don't even realize that it's DeFi. Some of this stuff gets super easy. If you're just using like MetaMask and Ave. like frankly, that's easier than using a bank wire and having to drive down to the bank and spend like an hour you know, talking with some teller down there. The fact that people
1: aren't used to that behavior is just a process of learning. I think um, it- if I can um, move to another question, I'm sorry, Sonny, um, and feel free to chime in on this one. But uh, Eric, you you just raised an interesting point about how some users um, are, are using products without realizing that they're DeFi. And I think last cycle, the <laughs> last season, I guess, uh, of crypto, we saw a lot of people using platforms that they thought were DeFi, but were not actually DeFi. And I wonder if, Anybody here thinks that there's some place for regulation or why there isn't a place for regulation to define what decentralization actually is. To give a more concrete example, you know, there's very centralized platforms that kind of wielded the 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 the, De- the DeFi moniker like Celsius. Then there's clearly decentralized platforms like uniswap and ave that you just mentioned eric but then there's these things that are a little bit in between um dydx comes to mind where they call themselves a hybrid decentralized exchange where they need to maintain some centralization apparently in order to process upgrades in order to maintain their order book yada 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 so should there be regulations defining what is actually decentralized in order to bring DeFi to the fore
5: but that, that, that's exactly my point, is that there's a spectrum to all these things, right? It is not enough to say that, okay, well, the smart contract is on chain, and therefore this thing is self-enforcing, and therefore blah, 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 right? There's DeFi that basically is controlled by a single admin key. There's DeFi that's controlled by a multisig. There's DeFi that has some centralized server that is necessary in order to keep the exchange or to keep the product uh, live and to allow any withdrawals to be facilitated at all. And so there's there's nothing intrinsic about having a smart contract on chain that makes something trustless, quote-unquote, as, as we like to use in, in crypto, um, there's, there's, there's a spectrum. Now, there's obviously things like Aave and Uniswap, for which, basically, we're, they're beyond the pale of the idea that you need to depend on anybody. And I think osmosis is also in that category. Um, but a lot of things in DeFi, especially when you start talking about displacing some of the things that exist in centralized finance, like uncollateralized lending, or you know, the most obvious thing is just fiat ramps. These are things for which we don't really have a good answer yet in DeFi, especially not for the, the most trained product in crypto, which is derivatives. The, the all, almost all the derivatives volumes are on centralized exchanges, because right now we don't have a way to do these things at scale on DeFi in the volumes that are, need to be facilitated to, to keep crypto markets functioning.
6: Um, you all make really good points about you know, what crypto needs to do better. And in light of this giant FTX blow up, uh, like, what do you think is the wake-up call that the industry needs? Um, it seems like the only way people really learn lessons is, is through, you know, extreme pain, getting rugged. And even, you know, after that, I think crypto as an industry maybe has, like, what is it, uh, you know, the memory of a goldfish with a concussion. Um, so, like, are you optimistic that this FTX blow up will be a lesson? Or do you think, you know, we have ex- seen exchanges, centralized exchanges, rug people over and over again, FTX is just the largest of the scale. And, um, you know, in, in 10 years, we'll be, you know, reading headlines about another centralized exchange blowing up.
4: Yeah, it's not going to take 10 years for another centralized exchange to blow up. I'll, I'll bet money on that one. I think the goldfish problem is, not that the entire industry keeps forgetting the same lesson. It's that the industry is growing. The people that learned the lesson in Gox didn't end up getting rugged in subsequent exchanges. The people that are in FTX, I mean, those are people largely that saw an advertisement on the last Super Bowl and joined crypto like in the last year. You know, that's a typical customer for FTX. Um, it is tragic that they're going to have to learn that that lesson now. I hope most of them learn the right lesson and become a little more diligent in what they do. The whole idea that people should be diligent and responsible with their money is sort of alien in modern society. But once you move power and sovereignty of money back into the hands of people, it's a lesson that people need to learn, just like they need to learn how to drive a car uh, responsibly. So um, yeah, a a lot of the people here will learn this lesson. Some of them won't. A lot of people will get scared out of the industry. They'll come back as soon as the prices go up again, because that's what they always do. And in the meantime, the core group of people who are building things um, continue to work on really cool technology and it keeps getting better and better and better. Like previous cycles, we didn't even have alternatives to centralized exchanges. So when someone said, well, what do we do about this problem? There was the proof of reserves suggestion, but there wasn't really anything beyond that. Now we actually have DeFi. Now we have DEXs that are doing billions of dollars in volume. So the the progress is very, very clear. But if you look at, you know, just the, the new entrance to the market, they're going to be making a lot of the same mistakes all over again, which is really sad.
1: If I can ask another regular... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Shango.
3: Yeah, the problem is with the decades of training Tradify has given to people, which is this idea that you shouldn't custody your own money. You should allow somebody else to do that for you, somebody else that you perceive as being better at managing your money than you are. So it's about... Sort of getting people to unlearn that lesson and being comfortable with um, managing their own assets. Like in reality, if you look at the UX differences between signing on for um, a centralized exchange versus on DeFi, it's like not that different. It's like not as cumbersome as a lot of people think. It's just that you know, it's the it's the scary thought in their head that you know, I um, am bad at managing my own money. And if I lose my money, then um, then that's it. Instead, you know, I want to call 1-800-FTX you know, or whatever to get my money back. But, you know, so if FTX were actually forthcoming about what they were actually doing and say, OK, well, I'm going to take your money, uh, I'm going to loan it out. And there's a 20% chance that you're not going to get your money back. No one's going to do that, um, you know, but they don't say that. And people are going to go ahead keep and to keep believing that um something like FTX or you know like a bank is going to be good custodians of their money. so that's just a thing that people need to unlearn
1: if I can quickly go back um, to the previous topic about regulation, and this is just a you know an informational question I'm sure some people in the audience have it too, but Many of the articles that I've read about this situation, Eric, I think you mentioned this, Asib, you might've mentioned this. Um, Eric, you definitely did. Uh, they reference this idea that SBF was cozy with regulators and therefore was carving out preferential treatment for centralized exchanges in general relative to DeFi, if not, you know, it's SBF specifically. Can somebody articulate to me uh, as a tech reporter, not a regulatory reporter, what those carve-outs actually are. How materially would SBF be benefiting himself and centralized entities over decentralized entities? Eric, I see you unmuted. Yeah, I
4: think the, the main trick that was being played was um, inviting or, or permitting or tolerating the idea that front-end websites for decentralized protocols should be licensed. And the reason that's a big deal is because today, if you go to, you know, FTX or Coinbase, you have to go through this whole compliance surveillance nonsense, um, and a lot of people don't like that for very good reasons. Uh, you go to Ave, you click connect your wallet and you're suddenly there, um, that's, that's way smoother. But if, if the front end for Aave required you to go through a licensing process, first of all, most front ends for Aave wouldn't exist. Because you know, a twenty-two-year-old kid is not going to spin up a hundred thousand-dollar legal fee just to do the initial analysis to see if they can get a license. Let alone set up a you know million-dollar-year compliance program just to operate the license. It completely changes the the competitive nature of um, of websites. And so, it, it seemed like what Sam was doing was inviting in um, licensure for front ends for decentralized protocols. And he was saying, you know, like. I don't want to do that, but I'll tolerate it as long as we get good, good legislation through. And, um, I didn't, I didn't see him as such a villain when we had that debate. Like I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, um, that he just didn't realize how reckless that was, but it's, I I feel a little more reasonable now to, to not give him that benefit of the doubt and, and to say, okay, well, his main competitor is DeFi over time. And so he was trying to get out ahead of that and put up roadblocks and friction on those competitors.
3: Yeah, I really I mean, liked I, your um, email example, Eric, uh, which is this idea. I mean, so Sam's argument is that, um, you know, protocols can be permissionless and open source, totally fine, uh, but the front end should be licensed because X, Y, Z. And you posed the analogy of, you know, okay, email protocol. If the, um, if, if regulators license the front ends, like, you know, gmail.com, um, the web UI for accessing email, would email have gained the adoption that it did today? Um, and, you know, he was basically lost for words, and that was very telling.
4: Well, well, actually, he, on that, this was one of the things he wasn't lost for words on. He, he was, like, vehemently opposed to licensing right. front ends for email, and he gave this eloquent argument about how bad that would be. And he had no conception that, like, this is the same, the same argument, right? That you need to protect people you need to protect uh, consumers, you need to prevent terrorism, right? Like, w- why is, are anonymous people allowed to send any messages across the world to any other person without it being registered with a central agency? Like, do you know how easy it is for terrorists to talk to each other through the email protocol? Um, why do we permit that? We, we permit that because that's how it's been since the, the mid-90s when this stuff was getting debated, but those arguments could have gone a different way. And, and you could have seen people ar- arguing for, licensure where like if you want a gmail account you have to provide kyc information that is no more ridiculous than someone needing to provide kyc information to manage their own money so yeah i was i was happy with that analogy too and i was glad that it struck a chord
1: um shifting gears a little bit i'm curious uh if any so we've talked a lot about we and then the general crypto twitter crypto community have talked a lot how in retrospect there were some red flags um, Haseeb, I'm going to have a question for you a little bit about this in terms of on the venture and why you saw some of those red flags, others didn't. Um, but just speaking broadly, um, I- I'm curious, Binance, for example, which is now, it was already the biggest company in this space. Now it is even more <laughs> the biggest company in this space. Are, are there any reasons, uh, uh, I'm genuinely asking, to, to think that it is not, like, do we have any reason to think that it is not the same sort of a situation as an FTX? And if there is no reason, um, yeah, what should people be doing? It, it's a broad question I know, but um I don't know. I don't see anybody unmuting. Anybody want to click <laughs> the CC hornets next? Sure, mean, see.
5: Yeah, Thank I you. mean look <laughs> I don't think there's a lot of visibility to what's going on at Binance, but I will say that there's um the situation at FTX was pretty exceptional. Right. I mean, Sam was first a market maker and ran a you know a prop trading firm before he started FTX and FTX and Alameda always had this somewhat shadowy relationship from the beginning. That's not really true of Binance, right? Binance started as an exchange first and foremost. But the other thing about Binance that that makes it more difficult to imagine they're doing the same kind of thing, putting their proof of reserves aside, which they were the first to kind of self-elect. It's very obvious that Binance, the business, is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly profitable. And it's clear that that was not true of FTX. Last year, um, you know, the financials that FTX gave to their uh, prospective investors so that they made about $400 million last year and, in net profit. Um, almost every single exchange that was of any size made over a billion dollars last year. Last year was the most incredible year in crypto history for trading fees. Uh, and the fact that FTX only made $400 million means that it actually wasn't that profitable of an exchange. They made much more money from Alameda. Alameda made billions last year, right? if you look at the, uh, the financials that they uh, submitted in the affidavit, it said they had over $13 billion in assets uh, as of the end of last year. Uh, th- that's the estimate, anyway, that they produced. Um, and that's probably marking a bunch of stuff to crazy valuations, but whatever. Let's say it's, you know, in the order of $5, 6000000000 uh, Clearly, Alameda made much more money than FTX did. And so you can see how their interests would be compromised. And uh, they clearly were when push came to shove and it was time to decide whether or not Sam was going to save Alameda. Or, or let Alameda die and, and, and have FTX go on, he made the wrong choice, or at least that's the story that we're getting so far. Um, there, I, there's no reason in principle why you might think that's true for Binance. So I think, you know, it, it, again, Binance is not, it's, it, you know, it's a lightly regulated company based out of Dubai. Uh, they've got a ton of entities around the world, so we don't know what we don't know, but I, I don't think this is a good impetus for us to start suspecting that
4: all exchanges are doing this because FTX is doing this. We, we shouldn't expect that all exchanges are doing this, but we should recognize that all centralized exchanges have counterparty risk. And if the, if the lesson here is, oh, we shouldn't have trusted FTX, we should have trusted Binance, that's the wrong lesson. Like, I, I think Binance is probably operating a legitimate business, but I'm not going to leave money on there. And if people are leaving lots of money on Binance over extended periods of time, not for trading, but just to use as a wallet, you are inviting this very problem. It doesn't have to be the exact same circumstances that cause a catastrophe. Each of these things rhymes, but they're not identical. Anyone who is leaving tons of money at a custodian is putting themselves at risk. And this is the lesson that the crypto industry needs to learn. If you want to use a centralized exchange to trade, go for it, but don't leave your money there for extended periods of time. Like how many more examples do you need? Like also Hasib, how do we even know, you know, uh,
2: Binance is, you know, super profitable. I mean, how do we know what their revenue numbers actually are? We're just trusting them to tell us. And, You know, if we've learned anything, like, you know, these centralized exchange operators, they can lie, you know? And it's like, with DeFi, you can see exactly what, you know, what revenues are going because everything is fully transparent on chain. And I don't know, I just feel like there's been too much of, like, holding up CZ as the hero of the story right now, when it's like, you know, sometimes there are no heroes, and, like, CZ seems very, like, cocky and overconfident right now, almost, like, mocking FTX, but it's like, you know, FD, SPF was doing that, was doing the same thing six months ago when like 3AC and Celsius and stuff were going under their issues as well. And I don't know, I, I just really hesitate and urge people not to take cockiness as a uh, as a evidence of, uh, you know, solvency.
5: <laughs> yeah, So to be clear, I'm, I'm not saying that because CZ is going out, dumping his chest, so that means it's time to trust CZ. I think CZ has probably misplayed his hand here because I mean, one, obviously, you know, killing FTX, FTX was a tiny player relative to Binance. Binance had something like 65% market share, Um, but you know, while FTX was still alive, FTX was something like 5% market share. Uh, And CZ toppling FTX has, you know, brought the entire crypto industry down another 20, 25%. So this is not good for him, right? If if this was his intention, uh, it was a stupid thing to do. But in addition to that, uh, he's now brought an enormous amount of regulatory eyeballs and attention onto his empire, and one way or another, people want somebody to blame. And Sam doesn't have the money, clearly. Uh, so who does? One one person who certainly has the money is CZ. So I, I think he's he's clearly consolidating right now. Um, and I, if I were him, I'd be very worried about what the next few years are going to hold with respect to the 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 you know the, the heat coming from regulators over the next couple of years. Um, but I, I also don't, I, I think it's a little bit hyperbolic to say that there's no good reason to think that Binance isn't lying to us about having money. Like, it, it's it's pretty hard to fake the, the scale of Binance. And, of course, they do the BNB buybacks. You can see on chain all the volumes that are going there. Talk to market makers and see, you know, is the liquidity on Binance real? The answer for almost everybody, the answer is yes. Um, now, does that mean you should keep your money long term on Binance? I wouldn't recommend it, and we don't. Um, but... It's, it's a very different thing to say, okay, we think finance is the next FTX.
1: Um, Hasib, actually, uh, to ask you a follow-up question, uh, you, you called this, I forget on what podcast, it might have been Unchained, um, you called it the largest failure, not just in crypto, uh, but in, in venture funding ever. Um, paraphrasing, of course. But I'm curious uh, why you personally didn't invest, and if you can talk a little bit about, if you have any insight into this, the due diligence or lack thereof that other funds have done that allow something like this to happen? Are people just you know following the herd? I saw Suzu tweet, for example, recently, where he was just like, oh, well, we assumed it was vetted, so we jumped in, um, which is not to start talking about Suzu, anyway.
5: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that that was the story for almost every venture capitalist. So you know, judging from what John Ray is now uh, you know, spelling out of the affidavit, they just had you know, Mickey Mouse accounting end to end for every single entity that they had, there was no, there was no CFO, there was no board with any external oversight. Um, it was just a bunch of kids in the Bahamas apparently screwing each other and just like, you know, slinging around ledgers from a Google sheet. And that kind of, I mean, it's very clear now talking with a bunch of the other investors who were in FTX. So we never invested in FTX. We passed on every single one of their rounds. Um, and for us, you know, there's just a, the math and the relationship of, of Sam with his empire, like the way that they were doing all this, all this nonsense with Solana coins and, um, you know, launching Serum and then launching FTT and then launching Oxy and launching MAPS. It just all really felt like this kind of bullshit. Um, you know, All these low FTV launches just felt like a bullshit kind of money engine that didn't feel sustainable. And for a while we felt really stupid, especially in 2021 when Sam was the top of the world and everything that he touched turned to gold. Uh, we were just like, wow, how did we, how do we get this wrong? We must have totally misunderstood how this thing could end up becoming self-sustaining. Um, there, were, there, were, there were a lot of things that, that made one think that last year. Um, but, it, you know, at the end of the day, the, the honest truth is we did not suspect that Sam was stealing money from FTX to go put it in the pocket of Alameda. Now, almost everybody who looked at FTX, especially in the beginning, assumed that there was a special and unfair relationship between Alameda and FTX. And that's now been confirmed by John Ray in that affidavit, that you know, Alameda had a special relationship with FTX. Um, and everybody, it it's fairly obvious, right? If, if a market making firm starts an exchange, probably there's something special going on there. Um, but the, 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 the extent of malfeasance, I think surprised everybody, right? So for, for the most part, I think that the core of the story, like why did all of these venture capitalists invest without doing more due diligence? The answer was that Sam was the guy. And when Sam was the guy, and you wanted a piece of Sam, and the perception was that uh, th- this this was the safest investment in crypto. A lot of the investors who invested into this thing, they don't do tokens, they don't invest into you know real crypto native projects, and so they perceived as FTX being the safest thing they can invest into because it's an exchange rather than being a token. Uh, and Sam is this like really impressive guy, and he's on the cover of Forbes, and he's getting on TV, and he's in, you know he bought the Miami Heat stadium uh, naming rights, blah 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 blah. Uh, and uh, this is this is how that turns out. And so I, I don't know that the lesson is so much for consumers because at the end of the day, consumers like there's no real way as a consumer for you to be able to diligence any centralized exchange. You just don't have the tools available to you. And to the extent that you can diligence them, it's like look up their financials, which is that okay? They have a hundred, uh, what is it, 1.7 billion dollars that they've raised in total capital, uh, and they announced having over a billion dollars just sitting on the balance sheet. Like, that, that's as much diligence as you can expect for a consumer to do on an exchange. I think the, the responsibility here lies on the venture capitalists that enable this whole thing and legitimize it.
1: Thanks, Steve. Uh, I'm curious, um, as we're kind of coming to the end here, um, I wonder if you all could give kind of, you, you speak to a lot of people, I'm sure, Can you give like an honest assessment of where morale is at and what impact you think that this is going to have on the industry and its workforce for the foreseeable future. Do you think that this is going to continue to be business as usual or, you know, yeah, like do you see people leaving as a result of FTX? And and yeah, uh, uh, I'm curious if any of you have any thoughts on that.
3: Sure, yeah, yesterday I was at a conference for, um, uh, you know, trademark and IP lawyers. And I met some people who knew some people who quit their jobs in 2021 and went to work in you know web3 as you know like your general counsel and all of them are whole like trying every single day to hold on to their jobs so it, you know it may not be people leaving voluntarily but that the projects and organizations that they joined are you know hit really hard by this and their runway has um, has decreased subsequently so yeah, that's 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 the harsh reality of this. Um, people are getting flushed out with or without their consent. Um, but the silver lining is that, like Sunny alluded to earlier, you know, it's it's a really good thing for builders. What I see happening is we're in we're like, low of our equivalent of the dot com bubble burst, and and what's left behind is for builders to actually. Build out infrastructure for the fundamentals to catch up to the blown up prices um for the you know for the foreseeable future
2: yeah, I would say like uh you know from the people I've been talking to i i mean especially within the osmosis uh development team, I feel like morale is sort of like at a you know extremely high because I feel like everyone just sees this as like yeah, this is to be expected people who've been in the space before this is not their first centralized exchange going down and uh, I think the, just the fact that it's the biggest one so far, um, it just like yeah more uh, invigorating on why we need DeFi and you know we were joking the other day we were we, I was joking with someone yesterday which was like and it part of the thing in SBF's like uh, leaked uh, uh, messages was like you know I don't know if this is real or not but the excuse that he's making was that FTX didn't have a bank account and that's why people had to send money to Alameda's bank account instead and that caused issues. I was like. This is so absurd, in like in in crypto, it's like making a bank account is like clicking a button, and it creates a new address. And it's like if, if if really that is the fundamental cause of like the the root cause of all of this whole situation, it's like that is so absurd, and it just like shows how messed up our legacy like financial tooling is, and why and just more reason we have to move um to this new to like to DeFi and uh. Another thing that I think was also very like, you know, one thing that we've done in Osmosis is we've been like very uh, resistant to being listed on centralized exchanges. So you know, the Osmo token was uh, launched over a year and almost a year and a half ago. But like, you know, for the longest time, we we you know, anytime a centralized exchange would come, we'd be like, no, we don't want to be listed. We're not paying any listing fees. We're not going to pay for market makers. And I think that was like the right choice to do. And I encourage you know, I feel like any DeFi builders out there who are, you know, paying for listening on centralized exchanges, paying for market makers, like I think they've completely just lost the plot. And like, I I think we need to see see this like move back from, from you know, like 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 Hasib is saying, like the VCs have this like, you know, this obligation. I think it's also the builders also have an obligation to be like, you know, dog fooding the things that we're building and like not giving in to these um. Uh, Cfi systems that are trying to take over crypto
1: so um one other thing i'm curious about i know we have some you know cosmos folks here but also folks who are, are not specific to the cosmos ecosystem i wonder what you think this is going to do to the whole multi-chain narrative do we is there a chance that you know power will or at least attention will end up consolidating further towards incumbent? leaders in the space, for example, Ethereum and Bitcoin, specifically Ethereum for, you know, um, some of these DeFi apps that we're talking about? Or is there some reason to expect that this huge, you know, flourishing we've seen of other ecosystems will continue unabated? For example, Aptos, SWE, which launched a testnet today, some of these Cosmos chains, yada, yada. Why, why should we expect those to continue to proliferate?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that this this flourishing over the last year of these like VC-driven like ecosystems, where you know they raise these giant ecosystem funds, give all these grants. I think like you know I, that's never been really the thesis of Cosmos. The thesis of Cosmos has been like, hey, we're going to build open source tools that will let people make really powerful, interesting applications, applications like Osmosis, Thorchain. Um, you know, Mars, like all these like interesting DeFi protocols that, you know, just literally wouldn't be possible to be done on existing blockchains today. And so, you know, Cosmos is not this bet on, uh, you know, VC pump and dump L1s. It's this bet on like, hey, give developers the best tools possible to make them poss- to make the- as easy for them to build the best applications possible. And that's where the users will go. So I don't really see this having any sort of, implication on the multi-chain interchain uh thesis
3: yeah I, yeah I would like to to add to that so this i, I think there's this there's not going to be consolidation into you know whatever unscalable uh project that that just like a money grab in the future it's going to be completely merit based because there's there's more of a demand for that you know if if money is dried up then there's no way for you know, something like Alameda to, to like pump money into like Solana ecosystem and then just like buy the decentralized app and like give out millions of dollars in grants for um, people to build on them. It's, it's going to be um, the, the dApps that are going to choose the stack that is most uh, suited for their needs. And, you know, in causes we've, we've never paid anyone to like build in our ecosystem. It, it, it was all about um, whether or not the SDK served their needs.
5: Yeah, I mean, at the maybe a slight counterpoint, and at the risk of stating the obvious, when people are scared, they fly to what's safe. And you know, when it comes to centralized exchanges, that means the Coinbase's and the Binance's of the world. Um, it becomes much harder for smaller exchanges to hold onto their deposits. The same thing is true in DeFi. In DeFi, when people are scared, they're going to fly to the Uniswaps, the Osmosis of the world, and they're not going to be as inclined to use smaller DEXs or smaller startups that aren't as proven. Um, and, you know, startups, it's a difficult time for startups when you have such a dramatic failure, because startups need trust. And that's true, whether it's in DeFi or in CFI. they need people to be willing to take risks and to try new things. And when people are scared, they're not willing to do that. There will come a time when people, you know, the, the when, when the, the scar tissue kind of solidifies and people become a little bit more okay and they stop being so worried about contagion or about other things going down um and that's when i think it will be we'll get back to trend line with respect to the adoption of the multi-chain story but i think for the next at least for the short order um people people are scared and that's going to reflect in in their behavior and their usage patterns of
1: these different protocols i mean how much of the ecosystem do we all think was propped up by those grants that you talked about Sonny? you call them vc chains Um, yeah Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what happens now? Like, when does that come back? Does that come back? Is it ever going to look the same? Um, Maybe that's a statement more than a question um, or a restatement, but um,
2: yeah. I I think we're going to like seeing this like copy paste game where, you know, people just keep launching L1s and then you like copy paste existing applications onto these new things and just like, fake an ecosystem with this vc money i don't think that's going to come back and i well at least the very least i hope it doesn't come back uh the goal is that we want to see like actual innovation and you know this whole thing about like well you know keep in mind uniswap and compound and like you know these like base fundamental DeFi innovations came about during the last uh bear market and i'm hoping that we'll see similar things again i actually think that like i think that hard times are the best times to build startups there's this uh quote from um i forgot his name it was some f1 driver but he was he's like you can't overtake 15 cars in sunny weather but you can when it's raining and it's like hard times are when you you know really can uh you know that's what even when, it's, when it's, everything's good you know everyone can go at max speed but it's like the hard times is when you can really show your skills and what you can do
1: um we've got five ish more minutes um left here thanks for um that answer sunny um I'm looking right now, I'm I'm having trouble adding people to the space to speak, but I'm looking right here at at some of the comments that um, folks have left. Uh, One of the first ones here um, directed at Eric is whether he feels as if there's an education problem where regulators don't understand how code could be law. Um, Are they simply threatened by DeFi or in trying to cling onto their power structures? If I can like add on to that or rephrase it a little bit, I'm curious also with, Sam, one of the most vocal, even if we might disagree with him, um, you know, crypto proponents, gone. Uh, What is the main voice educating Washington and other legislatures now? Yeah, well, there are some really good groups in D.C. doing incredibly hard work,
4: trudging along through Mordor, trying to, you know, educate the orcs on, on peaceful relations with the villagers. Uh, Coin Center is great. Blockchain Association is great. And um, so they are making slow and steady progress, which is really helpful. Probably, you know, five years ago, there was like no one in Congress that that cared at all about crypto and no one that liked it. Now there are some advocates. So it's slowly getting better. Um, But we have to recognize here that crypto is not just like a, a different way to do finance. It's like a completely different paradigm for for orchestrating economic activity. And it transcends what regulations of the last 200 years have tried to do. So you, you essentially have a financial system which is immutable and only executes according to code versus a bunch of people who are only used to making laws trying to control finance. These are mutually incompatible visions. Um, I know which one I'm going to bet on, but we shouldn't expect regulators to ever really embrace this stuff because it is at odds with their very existence. Um, And, you know, the, the education issue is, is a big one. Like how, how many of the people, how many of the regulators who are writing up the DCCPA, for example, have ever taken out a loan on Uniswap or or on Aave or done a, a trade on Uniswap, right? Like probably not very many, if any of them. And, um, so. You know, I would think that that should mean they they shouldn't touch it in the first place if they're not experts on it, um, but they're going to keep touching it. And so thankfully there are a lot of good organizations that are doing good work there. Uh, anyone who's listening and, and wants to contribute to that, please look up Blockchain Association, Coin Center, donate some money. They are
1: quality organizations. They've been around for years doing very good work. Okay. Um, I'm looking at the, the questions a little bit more. Um, there seem to be a, a lot of people who are... You know, just curious. Um, yeah. Some people commenting on whether this is an Enron moment. Well, I, I, I mean, um, maybe without uh, to to combine a lot of things with one another that I'm seeing here. I'm curious whether or when we think we will see a moment like we saw over the past year to two years again in the crypto space. That being a huge infusion of capital. We might not see the same sort of grant chasing behavior that Sonny mentioned again, but do we expect to see the same sort of a frenzy? And if so, what would it be built around? Would it be DeFi? Would it be GameFi? Would it be, you know, what would it be? Um, Or are we now moving towards a more infrastructure, low key, behind the scenes, ecosystem or community when it comes to what crypto is and its place in the broader conversation and venture conversation.
4: In in my opinion, this market, like all others, goes through speculative cycles, and this is largely a behavioral um, tendency among people. And in crypto, it is just like hyper accelerated. It happens quickly, you know, like within several years and um i've I've been through you know four of these or five of these cycles um and you, it's not like they're ever caused by some specific thing. They're just phenomena that occur in in open markets. so yeah, I mean, we're not going to have a frenzy of capital investment you know next week or next month, but we will have one, and when that happens, everyone's going to be like, "Well, where did all this stuff come from? And it's going to come from the people who hunkered down and kept building while times were tough. Um, just as it always has in all these prior bubbles and and crashes that crypto has has gone through. So, yeah, that that phenomenon of um, of human engagement in markets, like that's not gonna that's not gonna change.
5: Yeah, plus plus one to that. Crypto is intrinsically uh, prone to these speculative cycles, and it's going to have another one at some point. Probably, it's you know part part of the catalyst for this is going to be macro. Until the macro environment improves, I don't think it's likely we're going to see something like this again. But most likely the narratives that animate the next cycle are going to be different than they were this time. And it's probably impossible to predict the way in which they'll be different and what the particular stories will be. Um, But probably the one thing we can say with certainty is that nothing is going to be wasted. Meaning that the work that we do now, the infrastructure that we build now, the applications that we build now, they're going to be used for whatever it is that animates the next cycle of crypto. So um, with that, unfortunately, I, I have to run. I'm a bit late, but I'll, uh, I'll end things there. Thanks, guys.
1: Yeah, right on time. Um, thank you all for, for joining. Um, thank you, Chango, for for getting this group together. Originally, I thought this was an awesome conversation. And yeah, appreciate our audience. Sorry we couldn't bring speakers on, but um, we appreciated all your questions. I pulled from them over the course of the evening.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Interchain FM. As always, I will read through the pages of white papers and condense only the alpha for you in a one hour long digest. Be sure to subscribe to Chango and Chain's YouTube channel to be up to date about the latest technology and never miss a live streamed episode.